Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of IGN Unfiltered, our monthly interview show where we sit down with the best, brightest, most notable people in the video game industry. My name's Ryan McCaffrey. This is a gentleman who, uh, even if you don't know his name, you felt his influence. His name is Ed Fries. He uh, is one of the co-creators of Microsoft Excel. <laughs> uh, and then, more in a more fun way, although Excel's fun for some people, <laughs> You, of it's course, fun to work on. Yeah, I, we're going to talk about that. You also, of course, ran Microsoft Game Studios uh, and, uh, during the original Xbox days yes. and were responsible for a lot of key acquisitions, including Bungie, Halo, etc. So, yeah. Ed, um, I want to start with the fact that you may be ultimately responsible, you specifically <laughs> may be ultimately responsible for the Xbox even existing today because... Uh, as the head of Microsoft Game Studios back in the late 90s, early 2000s, you bought Bungie, who of course was developing Halo, and yeah. without Halo, I, it, w- would you agree that without Halo, the Xbox may not have, might not have survived without that killer app? I think you're probably right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's, uh, but let's rewind a little more. Let's, yeah, okay. let's go back. Let's, we'll we'll let's, come back to there. We're, pit stop <laughs> in the time machine. Yeah. Let's go back to early childhood. Oh, uh, wow. We're going way back. Okay. Yeah. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do that. All right. I'm great. just curious. Uh, you fell in love with games early in life, I didn't did. you, as I, I was did. researching? Re- really it. early, yeah. You know, both my parents are technical. So my, my dad was an electrical engineer working at Boeing. My mom was a chemical engineer working at Boeing. Wow. And, and then she quit to have the kids. And then uh, once we were old enough to stay out of trouble, she went back and got a master's in computer science. So doubly dad, computer science mom. She's working at, at DEC, Digital Equipment Co- Corporation, old computer company. And so they'd bring stuff home, you know, for us to play with. Uh, so I grew up, like, soldering stuff together and making little, you know... You're, you're like the Tiger Woods. Of, you're just right <laughs> from an early age, just, just uh, training from the, from the early, from when you could walk. It was weird around our, our, our tab- dinner table at night, yeah, with the stuff we talked about. But my dad would bring home um, these programmable calculators with little, uh, little mag tapes that would go through, little HP calculators that probably cost $10,000 at the yeah. time, you know. And you, I could play, like, Lunar Lander and Blackjack. And after a while, I started to, you know, reprogram them, try to make my own games, that kind of thing. And just went on from there. So as you, as you started to play games, was there a specific game that spoke to you that really sort of set, just set into your consciousness and, and made you really knew, know that you wanted to be, have games be a part of your life for, forever? You know, it was more like, um, it was more like, well, okay, I loved games, but I also loved programming. Yeah. And so I loved both of them. And I didn't, it took a while for me to put those two things together. And they kind of go in and out together in my life. So, you know, I really enjoyed, I, I really enjoyed programming. And it was like, well, what am I going to program? Um, games seem like a fun thing to do. Um, so I started imitating games I'd see in the arcades. So I did uh, Space War was one of the first games <laughs> that I did. Well, I, I got an Atari 800 yeah. for Christmas one year. And so started programming it in basic and then learning assembly language, programming it in assembly. I did a space war clone and then all self taught, I'm guessing. So yeah, I mean, you know, the way and if you talk to people of my era, it's it's usually pretty similar. It's like uh, we'd get these magazines in the mail, uh, like Creative Computing or Antic, other other magazines, and they'd have basic game programs, and you'd sit there and you'd type them in, <laughs> and um, and then they wouldn't work because you made a mistake on line 137, <laughs> and you'd have to debug it, and and you know you type in enough of those, and it's you start to like internalize how to make a game. Right, you're right? learning a language, yeah, literally. Right, and 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 then and then after a while, and this is where you kind of drop off some people. Um, at some point, you realize basics just not going to cut it, and you have to go to assembly language, which is which is kind of a big step. Um, and then, uh, but when you're programming in assembly, you can really make the machine go fast and do stuff. So, so I, anyway, I wrote a um, I wrote Space War. Then I wrote uh, a Frogger clone called Froggy, and you know I'm totally not going to get you sued at all. No right, problem exactly. there. So I'm a high school kid. I'm working at a pizza place. You know, and to make money to buy games. Yeah, um, of course. And um, and I and we had the early arcade games there, and I play them at night. You know, and uh, anyway, I make this froggy thing, and it goes. There's no internet, right? Of course. So yeah. and it just says buy Eddie Freeze on it. Okay, um, it's froggy by Eddie Freeze. I just made it for fun, right? But it, it goes around on some bulletin boards and finds its way down to California. And there's a little company down here called Romox 
Um, this would be 1981. Wow. And they're... Um, they were looking for game programmers, and they saw this thing, and, they're, and, and they found me. And I have no idea. Like in 1981, how do you find all you like have is the book? name? Because your your name. Yeah, but which phone book? I mean, I was. They were in California. I was in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So somehow, somehow they found the right phone book to find the right <laughs> call the Eddie operator, Fries, who's a high school kid. <laughs> I'm not listed in the phone. That's my, true. You know, I have kind of a funny last name, so that helps a, a bit. But somehow they found me. Showed up. You know, will you write games for us? You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> wow. Yes, I will. So <laughs> I'm making pizza. Just recruiting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so that was the, that was the start of my my first part of my gaming career. Um, and uh, anyway, I'll, I'll pause to let like, you. Yeah, that's. As, <laughs> I don't know if that's just lucky or if that's you know you're reaping. I mean, obviously you're fr- reaping the fruit of your labor there, but. <laughs> right. That's just astounding to me. So you join Microsoft, and I, and I just want to mention, yeah. you you you, uh, you said that you're not going to get sued. Yeah, so they were worried that we would get sued. <laughs> so so they made me change it. They made me uh, take out the cars. They gave it a medieval theme, basically. Right. And they changed the name from Froggy to Princess and Frog, and the idea was that you were a prince who'd been turned into a frog, and you had to Trying get to, get to get the across princess. To her. Yeah, and so they, I changed the cars to jousting knights, you know, and then. I couldn't really draw a princess, so I just drew a pair of lips you know, that would move. <laughs> she had to jump on the lips, and then you were. So anyway, so I, I, I made several games for them through end of high school and going into college. Was um, it fun for you? It was hugely fun. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because it, it combined the two things that I loved, you know, programming and video games, right? So I'm going to college by then to get my computer science degree. Around 1984, the phone stops ringing. You know, the royalty checks stopped coming because the entire industry Crashed. went away. Yeah. Right? So I'm halfway through college. I'm like, you know, I got to get a job. <laughs> I got to pay for, pay for college. So I started working in the computer center, um, running a Unix machine. Um, and, um, and, and then I'd, during summer, I'd go back home and try to get a job during the summer. And uh, summer of 85, I got a job for a little company called Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was just a summer intern working on computer-based training stuff, um, but they they liked the job that I did. I kind of, they gave, gave me the nickname Fast Eddie because they said I was fast, whatever. <laughs> so tried to get rid of that. I got rid of that pretty soon. I changed my <laughs> name to Ed, so then the Fast Eddie thing, you know, didn't, didn't That's work. That's right. It's no yeah. longer. It's not going to fly anymore. <laughs> but uh, they liked the job that I did, and so then they they offered me a job to come back full time when I graduated the next year, '86, and that was to work on Excel. Wow. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you get your bachelor of science degree in uh, bachelor of science degree in computer science, but yeah, ha- what are you doing on Excel? Because I I think it's it's difficult for video game players. It's tough enough for us to imagine how games are made. Like we get we get these Vidocs and other things that sort of will show us how the sausage is made. But what do you what do you how do you even make Excel? What are what were you doing on Excel? Yeah, well I, uh, you know I was really lucky. I mean, so. Um, the year before, the first, very first version of Excel had come out on the Macintosh, okay? And then the team that I joined, we were taking that and moving it to Windows and adding a, a huge bunch of features and making the first Windows version of Excel. And I was the seventh programmer on the team and the most junior. Um, and so, and, and I'm, I'm assigned to work for the, the lead programmers uh, at what's called the technical lead. His name's Mark O'Brien, and he was like, um, he was like Buckaroo Banzai. For me, he was like, which is old movie reference, but I mean, he was a brilliant programmer by day, and he was lead guitar for a, a rock band called Green Ice at night. Wow, you know, so I'm just life. like, yeah, I got like stars in my eyes working for this guy, and he's really talented, and um, and I learned a ton from him, and um, and we, you know, he was working on some of the hardest stuff, and he would just like give stuff to me. Um, so I would just he get, mentored you, yeah, and so I would get exposed to a lot of the program more than some other people on the team. Like a guy who's just doing printing only learns one thing. A guy who's doing charting only learns one thing. But but we were working all through the program. So um, you know, so after the after we ship that version, uh, a, a different guy becomes tech lead. We grow from seven people to thirty five. And after we ship the next version, and I become a manager of a small team of programmers. Um, you know, I'd been there a couple years. I'm running a little team, um, and then and then after we ship the next version, that that tech lead leaves, and and I'm the tech lead now. So I'm running. I'm the lead programmer, and, and then it's 50 people. Yeah. So um, so that was fun. 
um, and, uh, and challenging. But on the side, I'm playing games all this time because, you know, yeah. I love games, you know. And that was a great time for games, you know. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm putting together a talk for, to give in a few months from now, and I was just going through all the games that came out during that era and it's like you know populous and civilization and dune 2 and yeah. you know all these <clears throat> games that invented genres were coming out at that time well it's like you invented excel i mean you, inv- <laughs> you reinvented office productivity do you ever stop and think about that like cuz there was uh, it was what it was lotus 1 2 3 was the the sort of competitor that you guys were taking on at the time they're gone that's that's not a. They thing. were they were our huge our huge competitor. That was a big challenge for us. They were the guy. I actually, uh, when I graduated, I applied to a bunch of places and I applied to Lotus and I got a rejection letter from Lotus. So that always Did sat. You keep that? Oh yeah, it always oh, yeah. sat on my wall as we were working. And they were a much they were a bigger company than Microsoft. I right. mean, you think of Microsoft is huge now, but I mean, we had seven guys trying to fight this company that was huge, you know, um, but. You know, do, do you ever are you ever on a plane and you look over at, and see somebody working in Excel on their computer and you just sit there and go, "I made that." <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm used to it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I would do that. <laughs> that that's it so was. Cool. I'm not saying it wasn't cool. It was really fun. It was. It, it was. It was really fun. Um, but it's not like why I did it. I guess I'll say that. Yeah. You know, because. The satisfaction, programming is really fun because it's creative and you, you have an idea and you try to make it something, something real and then something appears on the screen, you know, uh, whether it's a game or a spreadsheet or anything. It, it's it's, it's an intellectual challenge. It's just fun. You know, it can be frustrating when it doesn't work, but when it works, it's it's a great, great feeling. Yeah. So so to me, that's more what I associate it with, those great feelings of making things work. Do you, pardon me. Do you still keep in touch with that with that mentor of yours? Did did he did he sort of did you did you get to show him your the peak of like I helped build the Xbox? <laughs> you know, he he actually that first guy. You know, he went off to he he left to go to Juilliard's and study music, wow. and he's he's an amazing Good musician. You know, my next boss after that left, moved down to L.A. and became a painter, and he's and he's a kind of old world oil painter. Um, I mean, it was an amazing group of people that I got to work with at an incredible time. Man. So, yeah, I was very lucky to be around. So, uh, you end up as the head of Microsoft Game Studios, tasked with building a portfolio <laughs> for a console launch. Oh, man, you just skipped uh, 10 years of my life. Okay. <laughs> are, are there high, well, you know, it's, a, it's a gaming audience. I'm All right, let me best. fill in a yes, little please. between that. Okay, okay so, 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 after, so I'm lead programmer in Excel. My boss, uh, so we and, and we beat Lotus One Two Three. Yes, but there's another big competitor, Word, uh, Word Perfect, on right. I remember. So so my boss gets put over in charge of of, of Word, uh, but the next level up. So he's business unit manager, and he immediately gets in a fight with the development manager, the person who manages all the developers, and he leaves. And so then he comes knocking. He says, "Ed, do you want to come over and work with me?" And I like this guy. He was great to work for. So, so that was my next step up in my career. And I was managing the team of programmers on Word, and we were battling Word Perfect, which was yep. another huge battle. They were way bigger than we were, um, and we battled for five years, and we beat them. And that was a whole another another thing that maybe gamers don't care about, but was important to me. Well, we all. I, mean, I think most of us use Word or have at some point. I mean, it's. Uh, but for me, it was more my about whole career's been in Word. For me, it was more about you know learning to manage a bigger team and yeah. and just kind of broadening my skills from just being a programmer, right? Um, so so at the end of that time, my boss had left, and I had a new boss. And anyway, it was time for me to go do something new, and they wanted me to move down to California and run PowerPoint. I didn't really. You're just moving it. through the whole office portfolio at this point. Yeah, it was natural. I could have just stayed with my career, you know, and and done that. But it would have been in, as a business ma- unit manager, so in a business role for the first time. And um, I'm like, well, if I'm going to look around, let me look around and see what else is sure. out there, you know. And um, I knew there was some a little group of people that were doing games in the company. I didn't know much about them. I was actually at the airport one day, uh, flying somewhere, and and I run into somebody at the. They were like, "Are you, you know?" Hey, did you know that we're looking for somebody to run our group? You know, and I was like, "Oh, okay, that's interesting. Hmm. I love games." So anyway, I ended up going interviewing for that job, and then what happened was um, everybody, 
a bunch of vice presidents freaked out, and they told me I was committing career suicide. They said, why would you leave office, one of the most important parts of the company, to go work on something no one cares about? That's a direct quote. Wow. <laughs> so that's why I didn't want you to skip that part, because it's important. Um, but I, I ignored them all. I, I, you know, well, I, I, they let me do what I wanted. Yeah. Eventually. <laughs> well, because you probably would have just left the company otherwise at that point. I mean, I had I had a, earned a fair amount of political capital, maybe. So they're yeah. like they're like rolling their eyes. All right, let Ed go off do his game thing. I mean, they all knew, he'll be back. You know, whatever. He, you know, he wants to throw away his career. That's fine. <laughs> Um, so I so I go over there the first. Do you I'm keep the, a list of those people to laugh at <laughs> and, and just you know? No, most just, of them are friends. Did you mail them all Xboxes later? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> maybe we can get there later. But um, so I go over and it's a small group, really talented. A lot of them are are still there, um, still doing incredible work. Um, and you know they're showing me stuff that they're working on. They're like, oh, we're working with this little company down in Texas called Ensemble. They're making a, a this real-time strategy game. And I was a big, you know, Dune Two, Command and Conquer, Red Alert player. And so I was like, oh, this is great. You know, this is so amazing. Yeah. And, and you know, and they have all this other stuff in production. I mean, but it's you know, it's a small group. Uh, you know, fifty-ish full-time people. Well, it was kind um, of big back then, really, right? Well, it was the size of my other team that was just programmers. Gotcha, so, okay. Um, although they actually, it turns out they had a lot of contractors that I, I didn't realize that at first. So the effective size was probably more like 150. But I show up and they're like, hey, we're going to Japan next week. You know, you, you want to come? Uh, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've only been to Japan once more just with a, visit, with a visiting a friend. So going to Japan and it's like this, you know, I mean, I'd literally just taken the job, and it had been, I was a little frazzled because, you know. You're finding your bearings, right? People are telling me I'm making this huge mistake in my career, and, you know, I think I'm doing the right thing, you know. But I'm there, and I'm walking down the streets in Tokyo, and we had just, you know, we went and visited all the great Japanese game developers, you know. I go in, and I see uh, uh, uh at Capcom, they're they're showing me this game they're working on. They call it Biohazard, which <laughs> of course Evil. is Resident Evil. And, and I and I look at it, I'm like, this is alone in the dark uh, <laughs> for people who know their game oh, history. Yes. And and they're like, yes, yes, alone in the dark. You know, <laughs> that's right. And it's like this is like anyway. So it, I just remember very vividly walking down the streets of Tokyo that night and thinking I made the right choice. Like yeah. you know, at that point I knew I was. I had no more regrets. No on the more, right path. Yeah, I was. This is. I had done the right thing. And then, so then, there's almost five years of building up our PC game business. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, bringing in uh, Fossa, you know, Jordan Weissman, sure. his amazing team, Mech Warrior, Crimson Skies, all that stuff. Uh, working with uh, Chris Roberts, start, starting Digital, Digital Anvil. Anvil yeah. You know, um, and you know, I did what I think any gamer would do if they were somehow magically in the position of having a company with a ton of resources yeah. and s- people trusting them. It's like, I went and worked with everybody I could who I, I respected. It's like, oh, I love this game, you know? You know, can I go work with Westwood? We tried to acquire Westwood. We actually almost did that. Mm. EA, EA outbid us at the last minute. But, it's too bad. But, you know, try, I went around talked to everybody I respected in the industry. You know, I'd played Myth uh, for Bungie, which helped later. Um, but anyway, so we just built up the team through acquisition, and um, and pretty soon we were like you know five six hundred people, and we're growing in the PC game development. Uh, you know our percentage of PC game sales, and that's where Xbox comes in. So sorry, I had to, no no it's okay. I had to, I, I wanted I had to, to get fill to, that gap in. Yeah, where, so who comes, does somebody come to you? Uh, yeah, is it, is it Robbie Bach at some point comes to you and says, "All right, we're going to do a console." No, no, not Robbie, not at all. Um, <laughs> So the the guys who come to me are people like uh, Seamus and Otto and those guys. Yeah. And and they're like, you know, they're they're direct X evangelists, right? Yes. So they so what that means is, you know, they work on the part of Windows, they're part of the Windows group. They work on the part of Windows that games use. Yes. The, the gaming API for Windows, and they had this idea to make uh, a console. Uh, that was really a PC. At that time, the original pitch was, we're going to make this thing, it's going to look like a game console, you'll stick a CD in, and it'll install it quietly in the background, but it'll really be um, just a PC CD. And then it'll play like a console, but it'll really just be a PC game. Wow, how full circle we've <laughs> I know, it's so Crazy. true. It's so true, how full circle. And um, anyway, 
so they, I had already turned down several other console-like attempts, by the way, in, at the, in the company. Interesting. Like an example is the, the one that was real, you, that uh, historians out there will remember, is uh, Windows CE on Dreamcast. Yes, okay. it was on the. It was stamped on the front of the. There Dreamcast. was a Windows was a logo. logo. Yeah. Absolutely right. Did my group develop for that? No, because I thought it was not a real opportunity, not interesting, <laughs> you know. And so I got to like decide what are we going to support and what yeah. are we not going to support. So they came to me and said, "We have this idea," and and I liked it because I had this huge portfolio of PC games that I was developing, and this sounded like an easy way to get in the console business. <laughs> this is the irony. Um, you know, it's like, oh, this will be great because our developers all know how to develop on a PC. This will be a PC. And, you know, and so, yeah, this will be so easy for me because it would be a lot more work for me to work with Nintendo or Sony and, you know, we don't really make the right kind of content and we don't understand right. those systems. And, you know, that's how it started. So, uh, so I teamed up with them and... Um, and uh, there was another guy, Rick Thompson, who came in. He was going to run it for a while, kind of in the Robbie role. And then he ended up leaving, and Robbie kind of got drafted in. Actually, uh, quite a bit later. Um, to so as, <clears throat> as Xbox is spinning up, yeah. you've already been building this portfolio. But right. do you get a blank check, effectively, at this point? To s <laughs> and say, when you're told, okay, let's go build, go build a launch lineup. Go make this thing happen. Eventually, yes. There's... A, there's there's a famous story about the Valentine's Day massacre, and I don't know if you want me to tell that story or not. But um. I feel like I vaguely know of it, but I'll bet our audience doesn't, and I could use a refresher if it's okay. a good story. I'll try. It's a good story. I'll try to do the short version. Uh, um, so basically, uh, so two things. Um, there were actually two internal teams that wanted to build a console. Okay. I teamed up with one. Yep. The other was the, the continuation of the uh, Sega Dreamcast line. And they had a bunch of X3DO people um, there, and they wanted to do a console. Hmm. And their console was very much a pure console, um, you know. Fully uh, closed platform, full, everything. E exactly. Only had a CD. Ours had a hard disk. Ours yeah. ran Windows. Ours was a PC in disguise. Theirs was a, like a PlayStation 2. Um, so that goes all the way up to vice president, or all the way up to Bill Gates. Wow. You know? And we all have our vice presidents on our sides. It's like classic Microsoft battle, you know. And, and, and actually, some of the ones on their sides were guys I used to work with on Excel, and we had ours, you know. And, and we have this VP battle, and, and Bill chooses, and he chooses us because we're more on strategy, Microsoft yeah. Terminal, because we're running Windows and all this stuff. Okay, then we spend a year figuring out what it's actually going to take to do this. And during that year, so, so their thing is shut down, and a lot of those guys come over and join our team. Yeah. You know? And the more we look at it, the more we like, start to move more and more towards their direction. <laughs> okay, we don't go all the way there, but you know, at some point, we drop windows. You know? We're like, this is gonna, you know, we really want this closed you know, single process thing that's going to run really fast for games and blah, blah, blah. So anyway. So all of that culminates in this big meeting, it was on Valentine's Day, where we're gonna get the final approval or the project's gonna get canceled. Wow, Okay. no pressure. <laughs> you know, we've been through a lot of battles by then. You're Word not, are you Excel that night? Oh yeah, yeah, sure, no problem. It's like, I'm, yeah, I mean, the worst thing could You're happen. confident. The worst thing, no, not at all. The worst thing could happen to me is I go back and keep making PC games, which I yeah. love. So that's fine, um, you know, uh, that wasn't true for everyone on the team, by the way. But, um, but, but anyway, for me personally, it's okay. Okay. So uh, we go into the meeting, and um, four o'clock Valentine's Day, Bill walks in. He's holding our deck, PowerPoint deck. Throws it down on the table, and he says, "This is a blanking insult. To everything I've done at this company, basically, was the quote." <laughs> that was the start of the meeting, <laughs> and we all look around at each other. Actually, what we did was we all looked at Jay. We all turned and looked at Jay. Jay Allard. Jay Allard. Because we knew he's mad about the Windows thing. Because we, we forgot to, in Microsoft terms, pre-disaster him. We didn't, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't let him know that we had sort of... So anyway, so we all look at Jay. But Jay is not... He's like in shock for a minute, you know. So I start up and I try to explain. And 
he yells at me and shuts me down. And then Robbie steps up and tries to explain. And then he yells at him and shuts him down. Then Jay steps up and he yells at Jay and shuts him down. Anyway, and this goes on, you know. And then and and then Balmer starts to Steve Balmer starts to get in, and he's going through our business plan. And it says we're going to lose a lot of money. Yeah, you know. And 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 um, and so he's beating us up about that. You know, why are we doing this? It's so expensive. And why? You know, blah blah blah. Hours go by. So it's five o'clock. It's six o'clock. It's seven o'clock. Now this is Valentine's Day. Yeah, you most got plans. Of us, you most got... of us have something going on. You know, so so we're all looking around at each other. And you know, we we keep saying, you know, we've spent a year looking at this. This is the best plan. If we want to get in, this is a machine we should build. It's a strategy we should use. Yeah. You know, and we just basically keep saying that over and over and over and over again. Um, finally, n- near the end, one of the guys who was just kind of an observer at the meeting. Uh, raises his hand and he says, "What about Sony?" And it's a ballsy guy to raise his hand when when <laughs> Ballmer and Gates are are just breathing oh, he, he fire. Was a, he was a senior guy and he had been writing over the years a bunch of of, of documents, kind of because this was sort of his job. He'd writing these documents saying, "You know, Sony's like slowly invading the living room with." processor here, memory here, yeah. hard disk here. If they put all that together, it, it could be a future threat to Microsoft. You know, to so that he, living room. Yeah. So he just says that. He says, what about Sony? This is probably, this is about eight o'clock that, at night on Valentine's Day. And um, Bill and Steve stop and they look at each other. And Bill says, yeah, what about Sony? And yeah, Balmer says, yeah, what about Sony? You know? And then they look at each other at it. And then Bill turns and he says, I'm going to give you guys everything you want. I'm going to let you guys, I'm going to approve this plan. I'm going to let you guys go off, do your thing. You know, I'll give you all the resources. I know you want to be separate from the rest of the company so you're not bothered. I'm going to let you do that. You know, full blessing, go, do this thing. And then Balmer basically repeats the same thing. Yeah. You know, five minutes. And then we walk out of there. And, uh, you know, and I turn to Robbie and I say, that was the weirdest meeting I've been in <laughs> in my whatever then 15 years at the company. Um, but we had full approval to do Xbox. Wow. All's well that ends well. Yeah, I we guess. had the blank check. How many? Uh... And that was <clears throat> February of 2000. We're shipping a November year and a half 2001. Later. Yeah. And I have to have a launch portfolio in 18 months. So, uh, gee, well, that brings us to Bungie, I suppose. <laughs> it does. Uh, <laughs> Was what drew you to them? Uh, you mentioned Myth earlier. Yeah. Was it? Was it? You obviously liked Myth. You, were, you said you mentioned being familiar with it. Helped out later. What draws you to Bungie? So you know, I'm a gamer, uh, right? And so you know, I had been going to GDC since you know '95 or something yeah. like that, and and hanging with game designers that I that I liked and cared about. In the case of Bungie, the guy I knew was their business guy. His name was Peter Tampty. And um, so I, I knew Peter, um, but it's not like I originally thought of Bungie. What happened was one day my, my phone rang, um, not long after the Valentine's Day Massacre, and I picked it up and it was Peter. And Peter said, hey, Ed, um, you know, we're kind of in financial trouble. Uh, we're thinking we're going to have to shut the company down or sell it to someone. We have an offer from Take-Two. Take-Two already... Published owns, myth, right? Right. Take-Two already owns a third of us. Yeah. Um, but we're, we want to talk to other people too. Are you interested? And I'm like, yes, I am <laughs> definitely interested. And he's like, you know, we, also, we have this Halo thing we're working on. You know, we could show you. And I'm like, I'm interested. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm trying to build a portfolio for launch. We definitely should talk. And that, w- that was how it started. There was a guy on my team, John Kimmick, and he really drove the deal. And... Um, and and I had to negotiate uh, with Ryan, who ran uh, Take Two, you know, to split up Bungie. Yeah, figure out that part of it. Yeah. So once I understood what they had and everything, it was like, okay, all I want is this thing they're working on called Halo and all the development team. You know, you can have we'll finish Oni for you, which was another game they had yeah. in development, and you can have all their back catalog, um, all their old, all older stuff. Yeah, Marathon and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that was the split. So I was like, all I want is this one thing, Halo, and all the programmers and you know the team, and all you get, all you want is this. And so we we made a deal, we we split it up, acquired the company, and moved the guys out to out from Chicago out to Seattle. Man, well that worked out well. <laughs> um, 
Now, it's fairly well publicized at this point that I've, I've talked to a lot of Microsoft guys that you guys weren't expecting Halo to be this killer app. Yeah, well, yeah, that's kind of true. And, um, you know, we'd been in the game business long enough that we knew it was unpredictable. And we especially knew that we didn't know what we were doing in the console world. And people were constantly telling us, people like you, Shooter won't work. <laughs> People were constantly telling us that we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> you know, um, I don't mean you in particular, but I mean, you know, any I was still in college, Ed. Give me a break. Anytime we talked to the press, they would say, you know, what's your Mario? Yeah. You know, it's like, well, I've got this Master Chief thing, but it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, and I'd show, you know, I'd show them games, and they'd oh, those seem like PC games, you know. And they'd be like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, and we're pushing this multiplayer networking stuff, and it's like not really a console thing. The colors look wrong. Somebody, somebody's complaining about the colors don't look bright and cheerful enough, you know. And it's just all this stuff, and you hear it enough times, you start to wonder, you know. I mean, maybe we really don't know what we're doing, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, but we knew we loved the game. Yeah. I mean, we were playing it a ton uh, at the office. Everybody was loving it. Um, but we go into E3 2001, and um, the console's still very much under development. We, the, the machines we had to show their half-speed uh, graphics card at that time. Yeah. So everything's running half-speed. Um, they try to show this multiplayer demo on the floor, and it doesn't really impress people. I had the single-player demo behind the scenes, and I thought it was really cool. But um, if you read the press from that time, it's very, hmm, I don't know, wait and see, you know. Uh, so we weren't sure. You know, at the same time, we were working with some console people, uh, you know, Project Gotham Racing, Bizarre Creations. Uh, they, had, they had worked uh, on a Sega title before that. Yeah, uh, Lorne Lanning. Lorne, Lorne Lanning, who I saw last night. <laughs> Uh, right, uh, Munch's Odyssey, um, and and so yeah, so going into launch, um, you know, definitely Munch and Halo were you know from the marketing guys, you know, they're like, hmm, you know, experienced console team, well-known franchise, you know, or PC game in a genre. There'd only been one other first-person shooter on a console at that Golden point, Eye. right? Goldeneye. So, you know, it's. It's not just that it's a PC. It's just like an untried thing. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of skepticism. And even go, even if you look, I, sometimes I'll talk about this. I, I show a Penny Arcade cartoon from the time where they, where they, where they right at Xbox launch. And, and the last frame is Halo is shit. <laughs> and it shows a toilet seat. <laughs> um, I mean, there was, you know, some people were saying stuff like that, Influ influential people, you know. But as soon as we launched, the game, of course, <coughs> became defining, took off. And, you know, and then it, you get all the, oh, yeah, of course, <laughs> oh, yeah. We all knew that was going to be the case. We all knew it was going to well, be that, great. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you is, like, you know, some, whatever, six months later, whenever it's, it's just blowing up, it's taking off. Do, uh, d does everybody uh, at the company who maybe was any skeptic, are they all just, like, just bowing before you at that point like oh Ed, <laughs> you went and got us this no the savior no in fact i have the opposite problem i have the exact opposite problem <laughs> how is that possible <laughs> which is that now halo is too important okay now everything all the marketing people all the planning everything wants to revolve around halo and the next halo and there's huge pressure to get the next Halo out and, right. to, and to rush it out. Um, in the meantime, I'm like, my goal is to make more killer franchises. You know, we're doing lots of different things. Yeah. I'm always looking for great developers like Bungie, and they're incredibly talented. You know, but the way I'm going to make Xbox better is by doing more cool shit like Halo, <laughs> not by focusing everything on this one game, yeah. this one team. Just sucking it dry like a vampire. Right, right. Which, of course, we've all seen happen to franchises before. I didn't want that. The Bungie guys didn't want that. They wanted to take their time and make the next Halo really Well, they cool. had, I wanted to ask you, they had two things in development that I've recently, over, well, over the years, particularly recently, learned more about. There was Jason Jones a few years ago told me about a game called Project Phoenix, Mm. That was a Minecraft type sort of mm. castle thing. 
Mm. You remember that? I don't remember that particular one, um, but they. But here's what happened. Yeah. So after Halo One shipped, Jason went off with a small group of people to start to do some experimental things, and one of them was a Minotaur like gypsum. That was yeah. the next thing I was going to ask you about because right. we had Marty O'Donnell on the right. show, and he so told that, me about gypsum. So that one I remember. Yeah. I don't remember the other one, but it, where it fits in the timeline, I'm not sure. But what happened was. Look, Jason is the heart and soul of Bungie. He always has been. He doesn't, he's, doesn't usually want to be up front, on stage, no. whatever, but he is the glue that holds that whole place together, even now. And when he was off, even though this team is super talented, imagine like super talented people in every category, you know, so like programming, art, right. production, all this stuff. But there used to be a guy, every time that they had an issue, They'd go to him yeah, and with say, the vision. this, yeah, exactly, the vision. That guy's gone, and now it's like a committee trying to run it. Okay, and so they ran that way for a year, and, uh, and then we reviewed the project, and it was really off the rails. Um, and, and Jason said, I'm going to come back, back into that role, and I'm going to fix it, um, but uh, it's going to take a bunch of work. Right. It's basically another year to the schedule. So instead of being a two-year project, it's a three-year project. Mm -hmm. This was um, a big problem for, not for me, <laughs> well, it ultimately was for me, <laughs> but uh, a big problem for all the other people who thought that Halo should be the center of our entire universe. So, so th this sort of leads up to why I left, actually. Um, so. Why did, well, let's just go straight there. I mean, because I, I asked you about Gypsum and Phoenix, but uh, I want to ask you about Rare, too. Yeah. So we, maybe I guess we'll, uh, we'll take a pit stop at Rare let's first do that. before you let's leave the company. Let's take a, a Rare pit stop. Um, you played a big part in that. That was an extremely well-publicized, <laughs> uh, just a, a, a earth-shattering story yeah. when it happened for the game industry. Uh, so, but, but, but real quick, can you dispel an old rumor for me? Sure. And that's... Did Microsoft ever consider or attempt to buy Nintendo? Was there ever anything to that old rumor? This we, is going to be good because you're taking time to answer it. I can, you're gathering your thoughts. I like this. When we first started thinking about doing Xbox, we met with Nintendo. And we sat down with Iwata and others, and we said, this is what we want to do. This is... Could we do it? Could we partner? Could we work together on this? Yeah. And, um, and basically they said no. Um, uh, you know, it was like, we could do the software, the networking stuff, you guys could do the hardware, we could team up, put out a product together. They said no. Um, then Bill met uh, with Sony, same deal. Can we work together? Can we <laughs> partner? And they said no. So that is true. Interesting. Um, ac actually, if anyone thought about buying Nintendo, uh, I, I never heard that. So that's rumor dispelled. There it is. <laughs> I mean, so, you ask Robbie that question, or ask I someone will. else. I'm going to try and yeah, get ask him in Bill here. when you get Bill in here. Ask him that. I, it could he's have a little happened. busy saving the world right now to come in and do my dumb interview show. <laughs> yeah, well, that's important too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so rare. So rare. So it's like all these things. I mean, I had been a big fan of their games. You know. Um, I, I, I was actually a really big fan of, of Diddy Kong Racing for whatever reason. I loved that game. Uh, you know, uh, Conker's Bad Fur Day. They're just guys who, you know, there's only so, so many teams. As you know, when you go around this industry, there's only so many teams that do, like, that are special. super top yeah. special work. Yeah, and so, you know, for me, it was always, it, it wasn't like we were going around, let's acquire all these people. It was like, how can we work with each different team? Yeah. Sometimes, like the Bungie guys, we didn't set out to acquire them. They called and said, we're going out of business. You know, it's like, okay, we, you know, we will rescue you, yeah. right? Um, in the case of Rare, they had a, uh, an agreement with Nintendo where Nintendo owned half of Rare. And this was an agreement that was like 10 years old. Yeah. And uh, Nintendo had an option to buy the other half of Rare. And that option was coming up. Now, I had met with the Rare guys before this. Just at that time, they were still fully in the Just Nintendo camp. Just looking to work camp. on something, maybe. Because you never know what's going to happen, just so we know each other. Right. Right. Why not? You know, we all love games. We can sit around. We can talk yeah. games. Then they know who I am and you know what I'm about, and I know them. 
so, you know, maybe a year and a half, two years after that, you know, again, they call me up, they explain this arrangement that they have. They explain that Nintendo, it doesn't look like Nintendo's going to exercise their option. Wow. Um, after all the IPs and things that Rare built, that's interesting. It was shocking to me. And, um, and it, you know, having been through a bunch of these, my whole career is like, you know, battling 1-2-3, battling WordPerfect, you know. Now we're battling Sony and Nintendo, you know, and here's, here's an opportunity where it's kind of like two birds with one stone kind of thing. You know, it's like, you know, okay, this is going to be expensive, but we're going to take away one of what I think is one of the best developers from our competitors. If, if we were just doing that, that would be one bird, you know, and then, and then we're adding them to our team, two birds, you know. Yeah. You know, so. Because theoretically, with what you're telling me now, with this whole option coming, Sony could have come in. Absolutely. And, and bought Rare instead. In fact, Activision almost did. Um, I'm sure that would have ended well. So, um, so we put in a bid, and then uh, Activision outbid us, and it looked like we were going to lose the deal. Huh. And then at the very last minute, Robbie increased our bid, um, and uh, and we won. Wow! And we won the deal, um, and uh, and yeah, that was it. And and who knows what what could have happened with Rare? Um, you know. Um, are you are you uh, in hindsight? Are you you feel still feel good about the rare deal? It's sort of unfair for me to to me for me to say because I left soon after the deal completed. Yeah, and so of course, like in my mind, if I was managing rare, the Stamper Brothers would still be there, and they would have done cooler stuff, and it would have all been great. Um, I left, and then they left soon after. Yep, you know, and. Um, and so, who knows what would have happened? It, it could easily have gone the other way, right? It could easily have just <clears throat> maybe once we bought them, they made a lot of money and they would have left no matter what. Right? Who knows? So, uh, so then you leave. Early two thousand four, Ed Freeze walks away. Uh, Xbox was just coming into its own, really, yeah. at that point. <clears throat> yeah, uh, we'd had you know you, the, the portfolio was really starting to grow. Uh, Ubisoft had done Splinter Cell exclusively yeah, right, for which Xbox, was which was just this amazing stealth game, that the, yeah. the likes of which we hadn't seen before. Really, you know, there was Metal Gear, but now there's Splinter Cell. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then the 360 would have been on the drawing board back in early 2000. I read Robbie's book. Oh yeah, uh, would have been back uh, on the drawing board we, then. So we were working on 360. I worked on 360 for a while before I left. Yeah. So I, I have a sense of what your answer to this question might be because you've you've already you've been hinting at <laughs> your whole career is just one big battle after another. But so yeah, what? Well, Respectfully, why do you why do you leave at that point with the, the system coming into its own, the 360 on the horizon? Yeah, it's complicated, and and you know it has to do with a lot of different things. Um, I'm turning 40 at that time. Yeah, uh, I've got one kid at home. I've got the second one on the way. Um, I've been there almost 20 years. Um, I made a lot of money. Uh, frankly, yeah, the the ex- I mean, num- the, programmer number seven on Excel. Yeah. that's a that's a good gig to get in so, hindsight. So these are the things on one side of yep. the balance. On the other side, um, when I left office and went to work on games, I found myself in a situation where I had a huge amount of freedom to do whatever I wanted, and because because no one cared. You remember that quote? <laughs> yeah, no one cared what I was doing. Okay, by the time we got Xbox out and it was proven to be a success, everyone cared. Everyone cared. It was like working on Office again. Hmm. Um, everyone wanted to have a say about what we're doing and how we're going to do it, and they didn't know the game business like I knew the game business, and it was very frustrating for me. And an example is the Bungie story I told you. Yeah. Okay, we needed to take an extra year to do the next version of Halo. I meet with my boss, Robbie Bach, and say, we need to spend an extra year. And, and by the way, I enjoyed working for Robbie. We worked together almost a decade. Yeah. He was a great boss. I'm a product, you know, technology, game guy. He's a sales and marketing the business. guy. Um, not really. I, I mean, okay. I, run, I ran the publishing business. Right. But, but yeah, but I learned how to run a business from him in a lot of ways. Um, so 
instead of saying, all right, we should take this extra year, he said, let's have a vote. So he brought in all his senior staff members, Jay Allard, Mitch Koch, uh, other people you don't know, uh, and went around the room. Should we force Bungie to ship on the original schedule because Halo is so important to the company, or should we give them the extra year that they want? Every person in the room voted we should force them to ship on the original schedule. These guys don't see Except the, for me. Yeah. <laughs> and I walked out of the room and I said, I will quit now if we don't give them this extra year. Don't they, they don't think they're going to, they don't realize they're going to kill the whole IP by probably going to... The IP that is so important. Right. Kill the golden goose. Kill the golden goose. Marty likes to use that term, golden goose. It's a good one. And these are not dumb guys. <laughs> they're very smart guys. But they didn't see the whole picture. They apparently only ironically see things in spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was sad. It was a, you know, a sad day. It was a day where I, for the first time, could see the future of where things were going. Right. And it was much more committee run and ne- not necessarily a committee whose direction I agreed with. And, um, so how's, how does Bungie, how, where's the extra year come from? Because I said I was going to quit right then. That worked. And it worked. It worked that time. <laughs> but that was just one of a million things that are less... Imp- you can only threaten to quit so many right, times. Right, right. You know what I mean? wolf. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, well, what about this next thing? And what about this? Ne- Am I going to get to do what I think is right? Or are we going to have a vote? You know? Um, and that's... So that's the frustrate. That's, you know, like I said, it's like a scale, right? I have all these things that I could, I could be <clears throat> at home with my kids having fun playing games, yeah. doing what I want, you know, or I could be going to work every day fighting these battles. And even though we were in a great spot, even though I had a great job, uh, it was getting more and more frustrating. You were in a position where you could. And, and the draw of the other side was, was, yeah. was nice. So, what, what would Ed Freeze's Xbox 360 have looked like? It w- you know, uh, it wouldn't have been that different. Uh, you know, I think, I think they did a, a great job on the 360. Um, the uh, you know uh, you know Robbie's strategy to launch an er- a year earlier than everyone else, to uh, to uh, keep the price low, yeah. uh, worked very well, and and Xbox grew its market share a huge amount in that time. So I think he made a lot of good strategic decisions around what he's really good at: marketing, positioning, that kind of thing. Um, what would have happened with the software portfolio, who knows? I had a great team of people who were running these projects, and they're still great whether I'm there or not. You know, so they continued to do a lot of great work. But you know, whoever took over for me, you know, which I'm sorry, you know, then, now they get to step into this political morass, and they yeah. have to fight their way through it and try to do the right thing, which is hard, really hard. What's, so. uh, what's your fondest memory of, the, of those Xbox days for you? Probably the fondest memory for me is launch day, New York City. Uh, just with Bill we, Gates handing over that first console. Yeah, we're midnight launch. We're in Times Square. Xbox is up on all the screens, and uh, 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 just you know, it's just one of those moments in your life where you know you're like at the central point. You know, so it's great, great memory. Do you yeah. have uh, Do you have a favorite favorite child, favorite Xbox original Xbox game that just is sort of near and dear to your heart? Well, you know, after I left, they, they canceled Psychonauts, and that was kind of a blow. Um, and, I, and I spent some time down with Tim Schafer trying to help him yeah. work with them and get a good deal in the cancellation and make sure that that game found a home. Seamus actually helped a lot, too, uh, finding him a new publisher. at that time. Right. And, uh, and so um, Psychonauts is... Uh, is a title from that time. That so I'm, did you I'm back Psychonauts of, too? I did back yes. Psychonauts too. <laughs> they did. They did a nice little video uh, history of Psychonauts. I had like a three-part video. You know, the two-player productions. Yeah, it's amazing those, those stuff. documentaries are awesome. Yeah, and they had me in it, and it was very kind to me about my role in the project and things like that. So yeah, I definitely backed it. <laughs> uh, and then actually, I just, I, I just, because my 11-year-old hadn't played, so. You know, I got him the Steam version, and he, my 11-year-old is a connoisseur of games, by the way. Nice. He's a serious... Chip off the old block. He's a serious game critic. If you want opinions about what's wrong with your game... We're, we're th- probably hiring. <laughs> this is the we kid. We might be hiring. Yeah, this right? is the kid. That's what everybody's like. Can I hire him? <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, he just sat and played Psychonauts for two days straight, which 
means he loved the game, yeah. you know, because he has a million games to choose from. And it's like, wow, this game still holds up. So you were telling me before you came in, uh, or before we got in the studio here, that, you know, you're, that you're big in the, you love retro games. You've been in this whole retro kick. Part of that, you made Halo 2600. <laughs> I did. You made a Halo game as if it were for the Atari 2600. <laughs> The good thing Please about, tell me that story. The good thing awesome. about quitting your job is you can do whatever you want. And, and when so, you got that FU Excel money, <laughs> you can make Atari games. You know, so it's like I went off. I had, I was very close to the Blizzard people. I had tried to acquire them several times, and each and that's a whole other set of stories. Wow! But through that, I got to know them real well, and so they, you know, the game got me into the early beta of World of Warcraft, and so I was a big World of Warcraft player. And then I started Figure Prints, which you and I were talking about before, three D printing World of Warcraft characters, and just doing a lot of stuff during this time. Um, uh, A lot of uh, advising, board member kinds of things, and that's what I still do today. I'm an advisor to game companies, sit on boards. Um, But when you're an advisor, board member, it's like, I love doing it because I stay connected. Sure. But at heart, I'm a builder. You know, I'm a maker of stuff. I still, I still like to program. I still like to make That's things great. and have that joy of seeing it. You know, so I'm always, I always have these crazy little projects going on, on the side. My, my kids know I, I call them procrastination projects. So it's like I have all this work I should be doing. Instead, I'm going to work on my procrastination project. Right. So Halo was one of my procrastination projects. Halo 2600. Yeah. And and it started. <laughs> uh, I, I was speaking at a conference in Philadelphia, and I was talking about the old days, working on the Atari 800. And somebody came up to me afterwards and they said, "Did you ever work on the 2600?" That was 1977. I was, you know, I would have been 13. As I said, you know, no, I never programmed on that. Um, I said, "Oh, well, you should read this book, Racing the Beam." Racing the beam. It's named after staying ahead of the electron beam, okay, hmm. as it scans across. And so I read this book, and I was amazed, like, how difficult, compared to the Atari 800, it is to write a 2600 program. So that's a challenge, then. Yeah, it's got 128 bytes of memory. The sprites, if you can call them that, are a single byte, and you have to know where the electron beam is on every line, and you have to change them if you want each line to look different than the line hmm. after. Yeah, and I was just like, wow, this is... I can't believe they could even make games on this system, you know. But um, so I looked, and there's there's emulators, and there's assemblers, there's the equipment that you need online, the software that you need to play around. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to put a sprite on the screen. You know, what am I going to do? And so I just opened Paint, and I drew a little Master Chief, okay, and I and because I couldn't think of anything else, and I just. And then I implement the code to put it on the screen, yeah. you know. And I got him work, got it working, and uh, and then I'm like, well, I could make him move around, you know. So then I write some code to make him move around, you know. Then then I write some code to have some alien guys. And then I write some code to shoot the aliens, aliens to shoot back, you know. But it's just a goof. I'm just doing this, right? You know, no intention of doing anything. Then I come down to GDC, and uh, it, this would be 2010. And I run into, I just happen to run into like Mike Micah and Chris Charla, and, and they're standing there with Todd Fry, who uh, worked on the 2600. Todd Fry did the Pac Man hmm. uh, for the Atari 2600, kind of an infamous project. But anyway, um, and, and they're like, hey, have you met Todd Fry? He worked on 2600. I'm like, you know, I'm dabbling with the 2600 myself at home. They're like, really? What are you doing? I'm like, well, I, you know, I just did this Master Chief thing, you know, I was, and they're like, oh, you have to do this. I'm like, I do? And they're like, no, you have to finish the game. Like, make that game. I was like, really? They're like, and yeah, Mike, Mike was like, I'll help you. You know, can I, can I make some sprites for you? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm not really an artist. Yeah, I could use some help. Um, you know, and they're like signing up to be my play testers. And um, Ian Bogost is there who wrote, who wrote the book, Racing the Beam. And so he's my play tester. <laughs> and, um, so they just encouraged me. And then, uh, you know, so I, I worked on the game, made it, I really fleshed it out. You have... Only 4,000 bytes, 4K, to fit an entire game. And it has, it has 64 rooms you fight your way through, and then it has a big boss battle at the end. And squeezing that in 4K is, is really hard. But it's the kind of stuff I used to do. Yeah. You know? um, so there's a nostalgia element. And uh, you know, released it at Classic Gaming Expo, and it got, a, got more excitement than I expected. <laughs> and, uh, and then things got really weird. Because then what happened was um, was Chris Melisinos was putting together the first video game art show for the Smithsonian uh, American Art Museum. 
and he calls me up. He said, can I interview you for the thing? We're doing like a video of a bunch of game people. Yeah. Sure, I'll do that. And he takes some quote out of the video of mine where I talk and say, uh, programming is like poetry, and he puts it on the wall, the thing, you know. Um, but he's also like, can we include Halo 2600 as like just an example of homebrew? Because there was just examples of everything about the game. I'm like, sure, put it in there, you know. So the curator of the Smithsonian American Art Museum, after the show is this huge success. It's sure. like one of the biggest things they've ever put on, you know. Um, and uh, so afterwards, he's looking through the collection, th looking through the games, and he f just falls in love with Halo 2600 because he thinks it's like sort of this ironic retro look at, you know, a future product and all this stuff. And he's like, you know, can we add that to the permanent collection of the Smithsonian American Art Museum? <laughs> you know, and I'm like... Yes, you can. <laughs> so anyway, so then it ended up being in an art show that they did later called Watch This two years later. Then they approached me last year and they said, will you join our board of commissioners to help us decide what new artworks we're going to bring into the American Art Museum because we want to bring more games. You're in. definitely qualified for that. <laughs> and I said, yes, I will. So I have my first, uh, first meeting for that next month. Unbelievable. I'm really excited about it. You seem to just run into all the right people I, in your I, life, whether it's... <laughs> You know, <laughs> it's a charmed life. It's a good life. There's a lot of serendipity in my life. There is, and uh, you know, I, I think you can. I think people can be um, too controlling about their lives. <laughs> you know, I think. I think if you, you know, it's, it sounds like a cliche, but you know, for me, it was. What are the things I love to do? What are the things I'm good at? Pursuing those and and letting things work themselves out. Before you go, I got to ask you what you think of. What, what do you think of the Xbox One and where you think the Xbox is going and where you'd like to see it go? You know, we've seen yeah. talk recently of, you know, is, is it going to be, become more PC-like with incremental hardware updates, yeah. the platforms being sort of opened yeah. a, a lot more? What do, you, what do you think of the Xbox One and, and where, the, where, 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 it, where you think it's headed and where you'd like to see it go? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously they really stumbled on the launch. And, and really what happened was they sort of undid a bunch of the things that Robbie did with the 360. Right. You know, they, they didn't launch first. They launched at too high a price. And there were a bunch of other things we could talk about <laughs> that have changed since then. Yeah. Right? Uh, which is too bad. But fundamentally, it's a good product. Um, Absolutely. And... and and, but it's also interesting to see what Sony did, because Sony completely... They made a 360, they, basically, they, right? They did. Uh, I mean, the, pro the two products now are, are very similar, and they're, ve and they're both PCs, right? They're both back to where we were, you were yeah. talking about, you know, the, that original vision. So, um, so I actually like both consoles. I think they're great. I have, sure. I have both, you know, and, and we play different games on them, like any hardcore gamer probably does. <laughs> Um, and um, so the, the, the other important thing is, I think, that, to talk about Phil Spencer for a minute. You know, Phil Spencer is somebody I recruited into the group long ago. Um, when I decided to quit Microsoft, I had 1,200 people working for me. One person walked into my office and said, should I quit too? <laughs> and that was Phil Spencer. Wow. And I said, I was like, no, Phil, you don't have to quit. It's okay. You, you should do what you want to do. You should stay and make this stuff better. So he's a great guy, you know, a ton of loyalty, obviously. And uh, I was really happy to see him go into that role. And I think that he's done a great job of, of fixing things. I mean, a great example is this recent thing, this opening up Xbox Live for cross-platform play. Um, I hope that Sony is going to respond likewise. I'm, I'm a big fan of Shui Yoshida mm -hmm. at, at Sony as well. And a great leader there. He's been a great great guy, loves games. Um, and, and it's good to see some of the war kind of ramping down and, and more kind of respect and cooperation between those two groups. Um, so, um, so I'm very optimistic for the future of both companies. Well, Ed Freeze, thank you so much. Your uh, plug real quick, your, your, you've got this whole retro... A kick going on. Where can we read and see all of your <laughs> things you've got going on? Well, so um, now I'm getting into like like 2600 wasn't old enough, so now I'm going back to the very very beginnings of the video game business. So I started with uh, computer space, and you can read a blog I wrote called Fixing Computer Space. If you just look for that, it's sure. edfreeze.wordpress.com. 
Um, but I have several more queued up after that that I'm like in the process of, of writing. I'm not really a writer, but you'll, you'll see. It has lots of pictures. And um, I, I bought a completely broken computer space machine, for, which for people who don't know was the very first arcade game. Right. The very first commercial arcade game. It was made by Nolan Bushnell before, the year before he started Atari. So anyway, did that, did, uh, uh, did a, a Space Wars, did a Pong. I'm working on a game called Space Race right now, which is the third arcade video game ever made and um, have I, I would geek out if honestly if I say anything more I w it's gonna be like a half hour of me geeking <laughs> out about this stuff but it's really fun it's really fun for me to go back to the very very early days when people made video games just out of simple chips and uh, maybe I'll build my own that'd be awesome we'll why see. not you're, it's, you're that's it seems to be in your DNA it's what you do yeah Ed freeze the man uh, responsible for getting Halo onto the Xbox, and so many, many other games that are in your portfolio. Uh, I learned a lot. I had a great time. Thank you so Good. much for stopping by. Happy to do this. And, uh, of course, for more episodes of IGN Unfiltered, be sure to look on IGN on YouTube or on iTunes. We do these each and every month with the best, brightest, and most interesting folks in the game industry. So, Ed, thank you so much. Thank you.